podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield app. What lies ahead of all of us across the next seven days is one of the biggest weeks in Liverpool Football Club's recent history. The Reds are going to face off against European royalty in the form of Bayern Munich on Tuesday night with an equally huge game against Manchester United at Old Trafford to come on Sunday. A European Cup is on the line, a Premier League title is on the line. Anfield's going to be raucous tomorrow and the away ends will be equally buoyant on the weekend. This is what every single one of us is in it for. As a football supporter, I am Dan Austin, and with me to get really, really gizzy about the greatest football team in the land are Mike Nevin, Andy Heaton, and Rob Gutman. The show, as ever, is in association with Red's Bet. They are a bookmaker with a twist in the half of their profits, that is to say, your losing bets are donated to fan causes. So if you're already a gambler, maybe consider doing it with them, but please always do make sure to gamble in a safe and responsible manner. Rob, this is just a really, really, really exciting time to support Liverpool, isn't it? This is It's brilliant to be supporting a team where everything matters to us so much at this stage of the season. Yeah, actually, you've, you've framed this in a way that I hadn't actually even thought about. I've just been concentrating on my own anxieties. Coming <laughs> but you know what? And it's a fate-tempting line. It, it, it could be one of those weeks, if, if it goes right, where we talk about it like that week in 2009 which I think was just a life-changing week where we go, we play Real Madrid in that second leg uh, and beat them 4-0 and then beat United 4-1 at Old Trafford. It was, um, you know, that's, so it's a big ask asking us to, to, to spank Bayern Munich and then go do the same at, at Man United. But just right now, sitting here today, everything is possible. Mike, it could go either way. This could be a week where, you know, you lose that tie against Bayern Munich, the result at Old Trafford doesn't go very well and suddenly things look... A lot less promising than, than yeah. what they are now. Or it could go the other way and, and the whole glory of the endeavour could seem an awful lot realistic. But the fact that so much is on the line and that we're all so invested in it, it's 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 literally what we go to football for, isn't it? This is why yeah. you exist. And, and no matter what way it goes, this is the bit we need to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it just it doesn't really get any, any bigger or better than this. And what I was thinking really was that when we had that period in the European Cup under Rafa, I mean, we were consistently getting into quarterfinals, semi-finals, and finals. There was only really 2009 where there was a, a, a sustained league challenge alongside that. So we're in pretty uncharted waters here, um, and it is, you know, it's insanely exciting. Um, yes, it can be a pivotal week, um, but then you know that's that's just the, the reality of it. You, you know, you're in these. I think in particular with the with the league situation as well. I mean, that's something that's been preying on all our minds for the best part of six months already um, so that United game is massive but I think in many ways having a game against Bayern which in itself is, is huge for the club uh, is a welcome distraction in the uh, in the build up to United Andy nothing can be won in this week and it's very unlikely that something can be lost only if the first leg against Bayern were to go very very badly could you really say that but do you think that now because in the first half of the season everyone is so occupied by the league title challenge and rightly so and the European Cup campaign sort of almost goes under the radar in a sense apart from the fact that we really need that result against Napoli in the end but it's very much in supporters mind playing second fiddle to the league do you think now that we've got these two huge games it's the knockout stage you think this is where we kind of view them on an equal footing I don't think it's necessarily I, I don't think prioritising them um, sorry I'll start again I basically think that one can aid and abet the other I think you know the stage of the season now we are the sharp end where I think the momentum uh, from the Champions League carries into the league and backwards and forwards. So, for instance, for argument's sake, we get a really good result against Bayern Munich tomorrow. I would fancy us much more going into Old Trafford at the weekend. It's not a case of going, oh, we need to throw all the eggs in one basket now. 
um, and focus on one or the other. I think there was, uh, I think I read an interview over the weekend. Who was it? It was uh, Iron Robin, funnily enough, and he was saying um, the place he hates coming to most is Anfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was going and saying back then Liverpool were a crack team who could turn up for the big occasion. But he said this, he was basically saying this is a totally different animal now. You know, these teams have more depth. They seem to be better. There's more quality in there. And I think the weirdest thing for me, and it kind of goes against what Rob was saying, is that it seems strangely normal thinking that this week was this week. The fact that it's regular, it doesn't seem like a big thing. And I know, I know it is a big thing, but like... You know, previously you'd be you'd be wetting your knickers a little bit about the fact you got Bayern Munich and there's a, there's that that latent fear of a European giant. Well, they don't feel like a European giant anymore because we feel like we're dining at that table. Like we should like we should be at this stage of the competition. We should be at the sharp ends of the Premier League. And I, I'm I'm all for it, but I'm, I'm strangely more sanguine than what I thought it would be uh, from last week. I think I think what is different about this is that it is uncharted waters. I mean, I'm, we've talked about 2009. I'm just thinking. We had a great time then, didn't we, Rob? We had a great time in 2009, and we did some good aways. Um, but I'm just thinking, even in that week we beat Real Madrid 4-0, we go to Old Trafford 10 points adrift of them. We weren't in the title race by that stage. So this season, we feel that it's not exactly ours to lose because we're not actually first at the moment, although we, we get a point from our game in hand. We are. But it feels as though the European Cup is, whilst it's a wonderful thing, and this is a glamorous tie. It's just not going, it's not defining our season. Whereas I think any other time we've arrived at the competition at this stage to face this level of opposition, it's a season defining game. I, I, I think, Rob, I think what, what, what's curious with this, we're previously, we've always been backs to the wall. Yeah. You know, we haven't been the favourites, we've been very much the underdog. Whereas <clears throat> I think for the first time in, I'd say almost a, a, a generation in football in terms, we go into both ties as the favourites. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, not to not to tempt fate, but you mentioned Manchester United. We are better than Manchester United. Of course. We are, we're not even slightly better. We are much better than Manchester United. Um, and we feel like, and I, I fancy... And uh, as things stand today, think, by Munich. By Munich. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you, if you went and asked, I don't know, if you went and asked, I don't know, done a poll of maybe 20 people who watch European football who aren't, whose allegiances aren't tied to either Liverpool or Bayern Munich and say, who do you think will go through in this round? I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd, most people would be saying, it, it, it's us. Which, which is, as you say, uncharted, uncharted territory. Well, the, the, the bookies have sort of got it pretty much even money, the pair. Um, which we, I, we I, edge I, it, I, I think. I find, we? Yeah, I think we might be marginal favourites, but there's not, there's not much in it. Um, but, I mean, that, that, that's I, I, as much, I think, about the, the name by Munich. I mean, the, you know, they have slipped slightly. They're not, they are a, a team in transition. Um, and I, I think, yeah, given, given Liverpool's form over the course of the whole season, then Liverpool are, are rightly favourites. What's really interesting, though, with the predicament about, you know, what do you prefer, the league versus the European Cup? The European Cup this season is probably more open than it has been in many, many years. There isn't there isn't one side that stands out as being an obvious favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, and li- Liverpool can quite easily uh, bracket themselves among the sides who can realistically win it, albeit that they've got this huge other priority, which is which is the title. I, I'm finding it a difficult... A difficult thing to, to to get straight in my mind, to be honest, because no one loves the European Cup more than me. Um, but for the first time, you know, I think there's 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 there's, there's, there's a mentality shift. Like, but Mike, on that though, I I think this is where I maybe I slightly disagree. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I think the better we do, and it sounds counterintuitive, but I think the better we do in the European Cup, the better our league campaign will be. Yeah, I feel that too, Andy. But it's funny when we discuss Man City. 
people all of us probably instinctively say the opposite we go it'd be good if city go long in the in the european cup no, I, I, fuck I, their league I, I don't know i don't know but i think with man city it, it, it it's weird i think it's almost the polar opposite to us where if we were given the choice we'd pick the league hmm. easily whereas if you think not so much city's fans but if you ask the city manager or the city ownership group what their priority was if they were being if they were being abs- totally honest they would say the champions league if you ask mo salah Ginny wijnaldum uh, bobby Firmino, what do you think they'd rather win uh, See, that's where I think as supporters we forget who plays for us because yeah. I, th- I don't think they're prioritising but, but I don't think they're sitting there thinking it's all about the league I think Klopp might do because I think it's Klopp's job to get to take the temperature of, of the culture of the club more than it is an individual player so I think you asked him even though he's a European manager I think he might just say and this club needs to be English champions whereas I think those individuals and there's nothing wrong with them thinking this possibly think I want to, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a player of I'm a European player I define myself by the Champions League I think foreign players have always viewed the European Cup the Champions League as the grandest stage um, it's the one where they get noticed worldwide yeah um, I mean obviously we're obsessed with our with our Premier League but at the same time I don't always pay as much attention to, to other European leagues and the same with, with the same applies to other people in Europe you know where you really get a flavour of where Liverpool are at um, from the outside looking in is, is is on the Champions League stage and I think the players certainly um, are of the, of the same opinion in terms I, of furthering their reputations um, then the Champions League is is massive for them you, you say that oh, man, it sounds like I'm just being contrary for the sake of it and I'm not um, it's because you can't see me Andy <laughs> that's it, mate, yeah. Yeah. Um, but though I think the players will also be aware that so in the normal run of things if, if you're winning the league three four times every 10 15 years then obviously the European Cup then becomes bigger but I think the legend around and I don't think the players are immune to the, the, the legend around what a, a, a league title for Liverpool would mean almost on um, a European level I think it becomes a story you know Liverpool win the first title since X and it's not just a story in, in England it's, it's a story that, that, that goes right across Europe and wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be part of that side that, that, that instantly gets written into legend just to, to focus on the buying game a little bit for a second um, this is the kind of tie now in terms of the team that we're playing against it's a storied club that's on you know a relatively even footing with Liverpool in terms of world stature it's a knockout it's Anfield on a European line etc but this is the kind of game where a fast start from Liverpool and a really cacophonous crowd can break the opposition mentality. We saw it last season, it mm. happened to Manchester City, it happened to Roma. Liverpool play in a style which is a bit less relentless now, it's more considered, it's arguably better, it's, it's led to more success on the pitch so far this season anyway and more consistency. But Mike, do you think there's a chance that we kind of see them go back now that it's the knockout, now that it's, it's, it's not planning how many points you get in a group, it's a straight, you've got to beat this team to progress. Mm. Do you think we go back to, if not quite the sheer insanity of the Man City and the Roma games something approaching that again I mean that, that, yeah you, I mean, you'd expect Liverpool to be very much on the front foot and I think you, you, you're right in terms of the, the, the crowd at the European games always gives you know sort of like a real imp- impetus to the, the tempo that Liverpool play at and I think it's it's hard not to get carried away by by the, the, the you know the noise that comes down from the stands in those games and and that, and that has been the blueprint really for Liverpool's most recent successes in Europe, hasn't it? I mean, you, you can go back to the the Real Madrid game under Rafa. That you know they blew them away. Then last season, Roma, Manchester City. You know, it was an absolute blur in the first half. And so, I think that, I don't necessarily Liverpool think Liverpool go into it 
trying to be health le- health leather, but it might just be the way that it actually transpires. Um, I think the makeup, yeah. of the, I think the makeup of the team suggests that you don't naturally go that way. Um, but there's just that buzz. There's just that buzz about these nights that really, really just changes everything. Really, we talk as though as though they have a choice. You know, it, there's there's no there's no coincidence that that lineage exists. And the common denominator is is our crowd on European nights. It just makes them play a certain way. And I don't think any any Liverpool team that's had anything about it has been in European football has ever been able able to play really very differently, other than. A fast, dramatic start. Um, even the more, even though we talk about the more considered Liverpool of this season, Dan, it's you know I think about we've had two big European nights already at Anfield: the PSG one mm. and the Napoli one, and they were both within the set. I know Napoli was considered to be a mature Liverpool European performance because we saw out a one nil, but we were still very, very dominant in that game, and we, you know it's tempted to be from the get go, and certainly against PSG we were. Yeah, yeah, and you've always got. Um, uh, uh, this like sounds like an old fella going on about something that's been forever and a day. But the away goals rule in these two-legged ties. So, you know, you you want to go out and you want it. You want to play with a high tempo and you want to put them under pressure um, and let them feel the force of the crowd. But Liverpool have got to be wary um, because you know where they to score an away goal. You know, even if you you, you win three-one, there's a danger that you can get turned over in the second leg. So that always has to factor into your thinking when you're playing especially with it being a first leg as well um, so yeah Would you take 1-0? That's what I, I can't remember a European I think, I think I, I, I've never ever asked that I think I probably, or. I think I probably would because I can envisage Liverpool being great on the counter against them I think mm-hmm. I, You would imagine we scored at the Alliance I, think I, I would yeah, believe that too yeah. There are some stats around that suggest that Bayern are a little bit more vulnerable on the counter attack this season and that they conceded Quite a few goals uh, in, the, in certainly in the German in the German league and the Bundesliga, um, so that would be something. And, that, and that's the way Liverpool prefer to play um, on the break. So certainly, yeah, I'll take one 0 right now. Andy, they've prepared for the game by doing the little trip to Marbella. Um, they had the one in Dubai nice. not that long ago. Uh, the two negative results in the league came off the back of it. There were lots of people kind of questioning whether it had worked, why they'd done it at that time, that sort of thing. Klopp <clears throat> was speaking about it being more of a process. You don't just do it once for a short-term fix. It's more about the, the, the long-term effect. And there were loads of po- photos posted on the social media and stuff. They all seem to be having a really nice time. Um, Bayern Munich have played twice since Liverpool finished against Bournemouth. Um, they played the same day and they had a really tough game against against Augsburg this Friday night they were 2-1 down and ended up running 3-2 do you think that it's the ideal way to prepare for something like this? No cars before Marbs now <laughs> there you go uh, they, were, they conceded in the first minute didn't they against they Augsburg? did one minute yeah. in an own goal um, I think it's very very easy to find look for a narrative in it with any strand so when they go away to Dubai obviously there's the sickness thing and you know they come back and they get the two draws those two draws could have happened regardless or even you, you know if you really want to be facetious as I am you could say that well maybe we might have lost those games had we not gone over to Dubai you just don't know you, you can't prove that um, I think the manager they're not stupid they, they they will calculate everything and I think one of the interesting comments from Jürgen Klopp um, when he was talking about the trip to Dubai and Marbella he said it's as much about keeping the boys together in a group and in reference like training during the week they come in they train they go home that's it that's all the time they spend together it's like when you when they're away, that like you've got this intense period, not intense, but you've got this period of where they're literally in each other's pockets for a couple of days, and uh, I think as well it, it, it's good for keeping the spotlights off them as well, just like keeping them away, hidden away. Um, I mean, look, 
it, it's hard to prove or disprove anything but if, if the manager thinks it's for the benefit of, of the, the, the team then I'm all for it I mean what's interesting the, the, the one thing that was interesting to come out for me is the fact that they left and I know we're going to go on to it but the fact that they left Lovren at home because most people took that as a sign that he definitely was out for Bayern Munich but as I took it as the total opposite I took it as a sign that they were going to give him really really they were going to really intensively try and get him ready for the for uh, the the match tomorrow, so uh, to be seen, shall we say? Rob, we know for certain the Virgil Van Dijk won't play because of his ban. Um, obviously, he's ostensibly one of, if not the first name on pretty much everyone's team sheet, whether it be Jurgen Klopp or pretty much every Liverpool supporters as well. Yeah, um, he's not played two games for Liverpool this season, and they lost both of them. And um, they were changed lineups anyway because it was Chelsea in the League Cup and it was Wolves in the FA Cup. Yes, it's um, so it's not. Yeah, it's not entirely. You know, completely down to him, and Liverpool have pr- improved an awful lot in defence, just generally in the past year or so since he came in. Not just because of him, but the goalkeeper is a huge improvement. The fullbacks are really, really settled and much better players than they were even 12 months ago. Uh, Lovren has improved an awful lot. Joe Gomez is now a centre half, whereas a year ago he was a right back. But despite the the fact that they've come on leaps and bounds, it's it's still a really big blow, isn't it, to be missing him? Yeah, we are missing him and Joe Gomez as well. I mean, Gomez, we've sort of we've, we've come to terms with it because it's, cause it's mm-hmm. been a long-term absentee. But we start this season with with a reborn defence. There's a back five there. Let's remember the goalkeeper's crucial to it, and every single each component of that of that that defence, that back five, you go is heading towards being world class. Even Andy Robertson, Trent's Trent's development, Gomez Van Dijk, as you could go within five, three or four years' time, this could this could be the best defence in Europe. I think we're now looking at the heart of it being taken out and Van Dyke being the heart of the heart um, so anyone who says that we're just not going to be affected by it well let's, let's, but it is what it is I suppose it's better that it's this way around because you'd think in the Alliance you know you're going to be a little bit more back still will come under more pressure I'm not convinced that it's worth taking any risks with Dejan Lovren I think Dejan Lovren is a good player but he's not a great player, um, and I don't want a seventy percent Dejan Lovren facing facing up. I mean, uh, that's that that given. If he doesn't play, Fabinho plays at the back. I'm presuming Fabinho is second only to Van Dijk in the world centre half list, whereas in fact he's only ever played for Liverpool once <laughs> in centre half, maybe in his career or well, his, his his more modern career. So it's hard to know where to think. I think I think our job is to keep the ball away from our goal, uh, and that's where I think the midfield. Can we talk about the midfield in a minute? Mike, just before we go on to the midfield, I want to stick on the defence for a second because I've seen quite a few suggestions this week from various people um, that there's an argument to play Jordan Henderson at centre-back and, and keep Fabinho in midfield. And I see the argument to keep Fabinho in midfield because he's been excellent there lately. Um, we've seen the benefits of having a player of his quality on the ball and also the fact that he kind of holds his position a little bit more. Um, and Pep Lyons was talking about him at the weekend and, and saying that he was the, the lighthouse in amongst the organised chaos and everything so there's clearly clearly very much a defined role for him there and they want to keep him there as much as possible but I could not find it more bizarre to say to Jordan Henderson listen lad you've never played centre half in your life but I want you to do me a job here against Robert Lewandowski yeah he just I, I don't know I mean, it, it just he doesn't have the feel of a centre half to me um, albeit that he's he's a very rounded footballer he's done well at right back a couple of on a couple of occasions I suppose I mean he did have that spell playing to the left midfield but that's that's sort of adaptability in a different sense I think playing centre half is, is a bit it is a specialist position and to to an extent you, you know, you're asking a lot of Fabinho really to, to, to come in and, and, and be at the level you probably need albeit that he's got I, I think he's a more natural 
um, candidates play centre half. I mean, it's not ideal. It's, it's not ideal if Van Dyke's missing. Um, he has that sort of talismanic feel, doesn't he? Uh, in terms of the, you know the the, the the big character in the defence, the leader of the pack, if you like. Um, but I agree with Rob. I think it's better that he's that he's out for this leg. And you know, you, you have to ac- accept that um, suspensions is just part of the game. I mean, again, you know, it, it, it's more ideal that he's out now um, potentially than it would be, you know, if he was missing say in, in a semi final. So I think we'll get it. We'll have to get on with it. I, I just think, and equally, Lovren for me, not not really sort of strong enough to be to be thinking in terms of risking him. I think we just got to go with the obvious uh, Matip and, and Fabinho. I, I wonder, Dan, if there's also the the option Henderson would if Henderson plays midfield and Fabinho plays centre back Jordan's the number six he's the deepest liar I wonder if they'd be they, they've worked on something whereby Henderson can effectively drop in if there's the opportunity for, for Fabinho to take a couple of strides forward look up and ping one diagonally 40 yards even though he's playing centre back I don't think we're totally shorn of his midfield uh, attributes I'd argue Andy just on the midfield um, he's obviously got plenty of questions to answer because he's, he simply can't play the same midfield as what he played at the weekend if he moves Fabinho to centre-back uh, he's got a James Milner problem in a sense now as well if Trent's back Milner's a midfield again so he could go with the trio that got him to a European Cup final last season but was poor in Naples and in Paris uh, he could keep going with Naby Keita who he's referred to as one of his first names on the team sheet at this stage and played really really well against Bournemouth there could be a bit of a Shakiri wild card. What would you be going with? I would go with uh, first name on the team sheet for me would be Gini Wijnaldum. End of story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I think you know. I think there's a touch of the Ronnie Williams about him. Whenever he's not there, he seems to be better. You know, he's better. You know, his reputation is enhanced whenever he's not there. Um, also, Naby Keita, I'd stick with him uh, for a couple of reasons. Not just because he's in a good run of form, but. He's used to the pace of German football. Now I understand the Champions League is a different pace to, you know, the Bundesliga. But he's played by Munich before. You know, he he maybe he's used to that pace of football. He knows what they're about, maybe more than a couple of others. And I wouldn't want to break his rhythm. The manager's always going on about rhythm, isn't he? He talks mm-hmm. about players playing into rhythm, and he seems to have found the rhythm now. I I think he's certainly good enough. That Fabinho one's fascinating, isn't it? It's um. I don't. I wouldn't look at it as a problem. I'd look at it as an opportunity. So basically, I'd, I'd, personally, I'd be looking at Vinaldum, Cater, and then one of Jordan Henderson. Assuming this is always, as you're saying, assuming that Fabinho's going to play centre half, um, I'd go with either Henderson or Milner. If you ask me to pick one right now, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, because you, your head's saying Henderson because he's a bit more dynamic, but then some of Milner's best performances for us last year were in that midfield in the European mm-hmm. Cup run and he has got that experience with both ourselves and Manchester City it's it's, it's a toughie but it's a good problem to have because you're talking about two really really good centre midfielders and you've got to pick one or the other it's far better than the situation we were looking at maybe a couple of weeks ago when the, the injuries were far more stacked Rob it feels to me like the midfield selection sets the tone in this yeah. so if he goes with that trio from, from last season it's it's a certain way of trying to get through the tie I think it's trying to manage it a little bit more if he were to go with Keita I think it's a case of him looking to play on the crowd a little bit more looking to have that fast start and having the belief that it's maybe unlikely to happen but we can win this tie in this first leg if we go for it yeah I think so I, Keita's the most offensive of the four we could pick um I think this is a game again you know Andy's point about it being against a Bundesliga team is reasonable we can overstate that but but one thing you wouldn't expect him to do is be overawed 
by the occasion. There was fears that Kaita was in his settling in phase. Some some games may have been passing him by. You'd, you'd go if it was the derby. I can imagine people going, "Oh, not, not this one's not the Nabby," but this feels like his kind of derby. Um, I think Milner. I think Milner. People forget Milner comes on well in games as well. He doesn't. He doesn't have to start them. Um, he can also run out of legs. He's not the youngest player, although he's incredibly fit. He can run out of legs if you start him in a high-octane game. I would have no problem if things were going against us or we just needed to shore things up on 55 or 60. Bringing him in, he's a perfect sub- substitute. You made a really good point there, and I never thought about it like that. You said that you know, it, it's not inconceivable that Liverpool could try and win the tie in the first leg, which is exactly what we did a couple of times last season. Porto away, we pretty much put the game to bed in the first leg. And then obviously Roma at home, and I know the drama over over in Rome. But I mean, it was good. That it was as good as done, bar you know a couple of errors towards the end of the game. But the intention was, I think, and I wouldn't have it to be told. I think the intention was the team went out with the instructions to try and win it in that first, like just the intensity and the pace and the the aggression early on. And given you know, as Rob's saying yourself, that Bayern's current, I wouldn't say problems because you know. They've won nine out of the last ten. Exactly, games. but well, exactly. But given that the defense isn't as solid as what it once was, maybe there is a chance there for Liverpool to land a knockout blow in the first leg, and especially given priorities in the league as well, you could see the logic in that to go for the throat. We'll talk about Bayern a bit more specifically now because um, I think this is interesting talking about winning it in the first leg. You've lost. You're buying Munich today in your colours, by the way. Am I? Yeah. Well, <laughs> just trying to balance it out, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? No, um, I'm into it. I'm into it. Adidas as well. I look like I walked out the catalogue, don't I, really? Basically, I'm wearing a red, white, and blue Adidas jacket uh, and, a, and a t shirt. The, the podcast, they're not going to read it. But they can see it. This is filmed. If they watch it on YouTube. Well, there you go. Well, there's there's the added benefit. I'm trying to plug the YouTube. The I'm trying to plug the YouTube. Anyway, Bayern Munich have lost six games in the Bundesliga this season. Uh, they nearly lost again to Augsburg the other night in a away game, just managed to get away with it. But of the six games that they've lost, four of them have been away from home. And they were to Borussia Dortmund, Hertha Berlin, Red Bull Leipzig, and. Borussia Mönchengladbach Borussia Mönchengladbach are third in the league this season um, so ostensibly what that means is they're losing big games away from mm. home and Liverpool will be aware of that and that to me if I'm Jürgen Klopp makes me think again we really need to take control of this tie in this first leg yeah Jürgen Klopp's a key uh, mention there Jürgen Klopp really knows how good Bayern Munich are he will, he will know I'm he will know everything about them. Uh, he's steeped in the culture. I know he, that he's not. He's robbed two of the two. He's got two former Bayern Munich staff on the, on on the. Yep. On the there you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, he's not worked in the Bundesliga now for three years, but I'm presuming he still keeps keeps his hand in. Um, so he'll know what to expect from them. I, for us, we just have to see how it unfolds. He he will know whether it'll benefit. We will benefit from the quick start. He will know whether it benefits from a patient dismantling of them. I'm not sure. As I said earlier, I it, and then there's Anfield, so it could maybe not be his choice as to how this pans out. You look through that Bayern team sheet; it's it's a, you know it's a, it's a galaxy of stars and European names we've all heard of, but some of them aren't at their peak, um, and certainly they haven't been at their peak all season. And as you said, said Dan, and they're not travelling at this time, so we have to be optimistic here. But you never know. One, th- I think for, for Klopp as well, um, 
there's the sort of the needle thing with Bayern Munich as well. Mm. I mean, historically, he's, he's had a quite an uneasy relationship with mm-hmm. Bayern. Um, he's also got like the perfect motivation. It was obviously it was Bayern Munich that denied uh, his Dortmund side the Champions League. They've so. also tried to hire him on a couple of occasions. Yeah, yeah, going back in something like ten years. There was, when he was at Mainz, there, there was yeah. talk of him going to Bayern, um, and then I think that. Equally, he, uh, the, the the transfers of um, of Lewandowski and Goethe in particular was was something mm-hmm. that like sort of really hurt him as a lad he brought through, spent all of his career at Dortmund. So that I think I think I mean, it gives it gives him his his own intensity. I don't necessarily think that think that's a bad a bad thing. Um, whether that actually affects the way that he wants to play the first leg, whether he wants to really go for the throws and make and make a, a real statement against Bayern, I don't know. But just on the on that midfield again, I mean I think Kaiser just naturally gives you a more attacking inclination. My only concern really is the fact that Henderson's potentially not fully fit. Um and whether that just gives Milner uh, no, under normal circumstances I think I'd go with Henderson over Milner. Um but with Henderson having um a missed the fortnight or so um I think maybe Milner might be a safer option. Andy, any game against a club like Bayern is a tough prospect no matter what. But they do feel like a club on a downward curve, both this season and in terms of last season too. So last season they end up sacking Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. It's pretty much the first time in his career that he's he's failed in a job, if you were to refer to it as that. Uh, it's not gone particularly well for Kovac this season. Um, there was talk about him maybe leaving during the winter break. The form recently has been a bit better, so he's managed to hold on to his job. The two points behind Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, they've played a game more. Liverpool are strong favourites for this, I think. I don't think we can get away from that. No, no. Um, I, it's interesting. To, so we, we've spoke before on European shows about great football teams being generational. I, I, I in so much as the. You know, you look at, I'll try and frame this in the way, so you look at Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich and their transfer spends and you look at the players who've been playing for them and brought the most success and it's been pretty much the same side for eight years, at these, these European super giants if you call it, and they've had the same spine for like eight, nine years and Bayern Munich are pretty similar, the Ribery's there, Robin's there, you know, they've had Hummels at the back. And you look at the age of some of their players now, and you know, um, and the, the centre midfielder's gone. Uh, Edge Feinsteiger. Edge Feinsteiger's there, and the, the, the Chilean midfielder. Uh, Vidal. Vidal, Vidal was Vidal. there. Curiously, I wanted to ask you a question, and it's kind of endemic of what's going on at Bayern to a degree. The goalkeeper, Neuer, um, I think two, three years ago, undistributed, undisputedly the best goalkeeper in Europe by a massive distance, and then he's had a couple of injuries. What I think was curious was he got went to the World Cup's Germany's number one, but had to be de- declared fit. I don't think, and I, I think it's, it shows how important a goalkeeper is. And, if, and we can bring Alison into the into the debate now because you talk about Van Dijk and one thing and the other. I think Manuel Neuer has been as important as anyone else for this Bayern Munich side this year, and I don't think he's near the level. He's not at the level, but still a very, very, very good goalkeeper. But that disruption at the back, because Sven Ulreich's been playing when Neuer's been out injured, he played a lot more than what you'd expect him. And I think there's a little bit of uncertainty there, which has been borne out, as you said, with the statistics there and the goals that Bayern Munich have been conceding, which is very much unlike them. So, yeah, I think Liverpool faced them, and again, I don't want to come back, back bite me on the arse, is an opportune moment. Rob, mm. it is an aging squad. Um, yeah. I think the the problem with us just just kind of using that as as an overriding statement is. That oh, Alonso as well. 
is that a number of them that, that we're talking about there are not going to play, at least in this leg. Uh, Arjen Robin has been ruled out. Apparently, Frank Ribery hasn't travelled. He's had his injury troubles recently. Um, it's, 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 it is still a team that's not full of pace, not full of dynamism. You feel like Liverpool can be more dynamic than, dynamic than them in midfield. Liverpool's speed down the centre of the pitch against their centre-halves can maybe cause problems, but... It's a team full of quality. I'm going to read out to you now their likely starting 11 that, that I was reading yesterday. So they've got Manuel Neuer, Joshua Kimmich, Nicolas Sula, Matt Hummels, David Alaba is your back four. Javi Martinez and Thiago Alcantara as a midfield two. Three behind the striker are Kingsley Coman, James Rodriguez and Serge Gnabry and then Robert Lewandowski up front on his own. It's still a brilliant team that can really hit Liverpool. Yeah, those those three behind the striker and those slouches off the marquee, nope. the, the two wide men. Yeah, it is a really good team. Um, it's a team with a bit of a confused identity. Might not be the right word, but it's it's had a strange season playing catch up. You could see, you know, in uh, in scruffy uh, victory over Augsburg, you can see that everything's not right there. Um, they were scruffy in qualification. I suppose arguably we were, but we were doing it whilst blazing a trail in the Premier League. Which and they, had a much tougher group as well. And had a much tougher group. That's actually very, very fair. So although the, the, the names still sound like an awesome collection, and if they do if they do pull off a, a good result at Anfield, it won't be hard to see why. People go, oh, yeah, you know, when James Rodriguez scores or Lewandowski scores, if Bayern Munich score a goal or two or three at Anfield, it's going to be by a well-known name. And we're going to go, yeah, well, that could have happened, couldn't it? And it did. Mm-hmm. Mike, um Robert Lewandowski is the Champions League's mm. top scorer this season. He's got eight in six. Uh, his Bundesliga form hasn't been as good as what it has been in the past few years, but by regular standards, it's still excellent. Um, I thought that when Real Madrid played at Anfield in 2014, I know we, haven't, we were having a terrible campaign then, but I thought Hamas Rodriguez was superb that night. He gives a lovely, lovely assist for Cristiano Ronaldo's goal. Is there a particular player? Is there a part of the pitch? Is there a, a specific thing about the way in which you expect Bayern Munich to play that, that worries you? Um, I, mean, I suppose when, you, when you're looking at the, the, the quality that Lewandowski's um, got, I mean, obviously he's, he's, he's getting on a little bit. Um, he's possibly not quite the striker he was, although the, you know, the Champions League goal stats that you say you mentioned there suggest that he, you know, he's, he's, he's still well capable. Um, I think, yeah, I think James Rodriguez is the, is the one that would, would would frighten me. I mean, he's, he's just got that touch of touch of quality that's pretty unique. Um, the ability to see a pass, vision, um, you know, no slouch in terms of scoring goals from distance as well. Um, so he, he he's the one that sort of stands out. Um, to me, they look quite solid at the back. I mean, Hummels again is getting on a bit, but he's you know he's a superb uh, centre back and Sula as well. Um, so yeah, I think that I mean, but just looking at the, the lineup as a whole, I think you, what it, what sort of smacks you in the face is that they're 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 a good side but not a great side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Liverpool, yeah, have got a legitimate claim to be favourites. A lot a lot of big sides that come to Anfield these days who have star-studded attacking for, uh, players and 4-2-3-1 possibilities of the sides they can pick, suddenly look at our team and look at Anfield and go, shit, 4-3-3. 
they, they don't play with Hammers, Rodriguez, Coman, Lewandowski and Nabry. They just pick three of them and they let and look, and they look for another midfield player. I don't know enough about behind squad to tell you. Who would that third midfield uh, player? It could be Sebastian Rudy, I think. Sebastian Rudy, step yeah. on down. <laughs> well, I, well I, who am I to call the Bayern Munich team? I just wouldn't be surprised because the, the formation you've read out, which is probably their, their, their best one they can pick in the Bundesliga, notwithstanding Ribéry being fit... Um, I still think they may feel that could be a little bit open for Anfield. Don't know. Okay. Andy, you spoke a little bit before about the competition feeling open. Um, we saw in some of the ties last week that but PSG looked like they're going through. Uh, Ajax gave Real Madrid a really, really good game. It doesn't feel like there's a standout contender. I believe that Manchester City are Bucky's favourites. Um, but... To me, it feels like if we can just get through this tie, there's there's a, there's a fairly long time until we play the next one, and until you get to the semis, the games are quite well spaced out, to be honest, and especially with the weekends that we're going to have off with lack of participation in the FA Cup. It feels to me like if we can if we can take control in this first leg, we can start looking at it much further, we can watch the other ties and think, <clears throat> we'd probably beat them. That'd be all right with us playing them, because we've already played Paris Saint-Germain, for example. They, they look the strongest team of the ties that we've seen so far. We've beaten Tottenham away this season. I'm, I'm looking at them, and although there are individual players in this buying side that scare me, or there are individual players that play for Paris Saint-Germain that I would always be worried about, it's at the point where, after only one season of Liverpool being serious European contenders again, we don't really look at anyone with fear anymore, do we? There's been a weird equalisation um, over the past two years, I think, with with uh, the Champions League, and I think you're exactly right. I, I, I don't think there's there's anyone in that competition, bar maybe Manchester City. You think you wouldn't? I wouldn't say necessarily fancy us against, but we seem to be dining at that table again. Uh, I think that's been a combination of Liverpool improving dramatically and the lack of. I mean, maybe Barcelona at a part. There's. There's no real standouts anymore. So, like previously, it was Real Madrid and Barcelona were just way, 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 way ahead of everyone else. And but yeah, I think for various reasons, I think that the the, the two big Spanish clubs have got age and squads a little bit. Um, and as you say, I think Bayern Munich's form. I think the the, the standard of domestic competitions harm them. I don't think maybe Juve aside, Italy, Italy really had any standouts. So yeah, I don't think you're right. I think if we, if we can get a positive result tomorrow, we, we can start looking further down the battle of what, what we want, who we want, how, how we plan it going. I mean, personally, I just want Real Madrid again at some stage, especially given they got beaten again at the weekend mm-hmm. by uh, Girona at the Bernabeu, which yeah. was mad. Um, I think you can kind of forget sometimes, especially with, with Liverpool, that uh, we've got a habit of maybe doing down just how good our best players are. So, like, you, you know, you talk about Lewandowski, you talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, you talk about Leo Messi. People talk about Mo Salah, and not just Mo Salah, in those same tones in Europe. And I think sometimes we forget just how. I think we appreciate how good they are, but I, don't, I think maybe we don't appreciate the wider context, like, on a, on a European level, of just how high that standard is. I mean, Rob said then about... Bayern Munich are a good side. They're not a good side. They're an excellent side. You know, you're talking about the top six, eight sides in Europe. The, 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 the major key change in this is that Liverpool are suddenly in that top eight and look like they deserve to be there. 
Rob, I think one of the problems. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to cut across there, but I think one of the, the issues that Bayern have got is that this is a sort of a step up for them in terms of the the, the level of opposition that they're facing. Because I'm I'm not as convinced that the Bundesliga is just as strong as some people think it is. I mean, obviously Spurs, you know, beat Dortmund three 0 last week. Exactly. Um, and. Yeah, I, I I don't know whether they just get caught out in terms of them just having to step up an extra level in this time because because as Andy says, Liverpool, you know, are, are very much bracketed amongst the strongest sides in Europe. Um, and whilst whilst we don't perhaps always think of that because of just the familiarity of it all, um, you know, it's definitely the case. Last year's finalists, and, you know, and also. The you know the, the quality of Liverpool's performances against Roma and Manchester City. I mean, you've, got, you've got to still take those into account. I don't think this is a Bayern Munich club, squad and club that see themselves winning the European Cup this year. I think they'd like to have a go. I think they. If you ask them now what they'd like to happen, given the odd, they'd like to claw Dortmund back those by those few points and nick the Bundesliga, and they would take that all year long, and they'd happily go out of the, the European Cup now. And I know you could. Chris, it's a, it's a parallel narrative about Liverpool, it's, but it's a different context. I think, and whilst anybody can beat anyone to an extent, and this is a very open European Cup competition, you can look at the bookies' odds from top down. Bayern Munich are about seventh or eighth in the list, so they're you know they're, they're not looking at this competition and thinking our names on this cup. I think, um, and and this isn't hindsight because me and Neil had the discussion on the show over the summer of what we thought would happen. I think. And maybe I'm just trying to find the narrative. The, the situation with Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, I think there's an element, an, an element of that the, they've kind of slept walked into this, in so much as that they've dominated the league so much for such a long period of time. They maybe not well, yeah. I'll tell you what it is, took their eye off the ball a little bit, and you know other teams have capitalised on that because of the level of the competition as well. It's it, it kind of. I, I always remember there was an argument when the Scottish League was much stronger than what it was. And Celtic and Rangers never really did much in Europe. It's got, and the, the common excuse was, well, the level of competition in the football, they're playing week in, week out. And they're going out and winning eight, nine, t- well, they're winning by five or six every week. And it's a totally different get, totally different competition. Rob, mm-hmm. we're obviously focused on this game because it's so colossal, then it's the next one. But everything does still have to be viewed through a Manchester United prism as well because yeah. you can't just do this game win it and then not think about the rest um, and we've got a midweek game again next week and then the derby to come afterwards how do you think that especially across this week and, and looking further forwards afterwards how does Klopp manage his squad for this does he pick a side for Tuesday night and then make changes on Sunday or do you think he tries to carry the momentum through and then sticks with pretty much the same well, okay, it's difficult to say, as you said, without without knowing what results yeah. are, but and what injuries are picked up. But I think, having viewed it from a few weeks back, I think I think he takes stock after the Crystal Palace game when they get before that first Dubai trip, and he looks at the fixture list then, and he goes, "I've got there's nothing going on for the next month. We are playing a game every eight and nine days on average." And I think he's used this period to to put miles in the tank because he knows of this concertinering of games that's coming now. Uh, where it's suddenly from from playing every nine days or whatever it is to we've got what how many of you just listed is it five in two weeks something yeah. like that effectively five in two weeks and I think he thinks well I think he th- thinks of it in two parts really the front three who do not have deputies that's a, a, a weakness that's ongoing in our squad they don't there are players you can bring in to cover them but they do not have equals in the squad or even players who are within 10% of their level I'm talking about Marnie Salah and Firmino obviously 
So I think he thinks, I kind of need these boys to go all through for me, play every single one of these games, albeit hopefully we get into position in one or two of these where I can haul one or, one or two of them off after 70 minutes and put something in their legs. Because I think after the, the last of those games, after the derby, there's a clear week to Everton, is that right? Something uh, to, to Burnley in the league. They do get a respite soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he had this situation earlier in the season, and I think the pattern was that he did pick the front three, game in, game out. It's the middle three where he has some options. When Van Dijk comes back in, Fabinho's then released for midfield duty, and suddenly you can go, well, hang on. Uh, for United, he will have an option of bringing, injuries notwithstanding, Fabinho and Milner, he can rotate into that three. So that begins, or and Shakiri possibly. So you can look at significant changes around the midfield area in particular. And at the back, again, he can decide whether Trent... He rotates Trent with Milner. Andy Robber's not so easy. Van Dyke's not so easy. But I think he'd, it's a, a little bit of both. I mean, I don't, I mean, just looking at this, and I felt this way all season, really, he doesn't have loads and loads of options. I mean, we can talk about sort of rotating, but you're, you're only really talking about one or two changes, really, realistically, that he can make from game to game. Mm. Um, albeit, as Rob said there, you've sort of potentially got a five, uh, five players for, th- for three roles in midfield. That gives him a little bit of flexibility. But he's not going to suddenly lash in Albi Moreno at left-back at Old no, Trafford you, you or start changing the front no, three. No, you can't see yeah. that. And I think, no. you know, he's basically forced into a situation where his front three has to play, Robertson has to play, Van Dijk has to play. I mean, there's not there's not really um, much scope for, for, for rotation, I don't think. But um, Sorry, Andy. We, no, go ahead, mate. Um, you've actually lost, I've lost my train of thought there, so you don't want to... No, sorry, know. Mike. No, sorry, you was on the front trade. Sorry, that was my. T- I thought you'd finish. Sorry, mate. That's absolutely my fault. <laughs> what I was going to say was, is uh, I feel terrible now. Is, it's all right, mate. Honestly, uh, I haven't necessarily got a problem with the front three. I've no deputies because I think if you look at other teams in European football, they don't generally rotate the, the forwards either. You know, you've you've aren't rotating right now though, out are they? You know, Barcelona generally don't fiddle with the front three. It, I think it's, I think it's a lovely, lovely problem to have. The pro, the problem with the, the reason why you haven't got deputies within ten percent because you're talking about three of the best forwards in European football. They often have one lad though, and Shakiri. It's interesting with him though yeah, because I mean, he has fa- he has faded from the scene over yeah, the last over the last sort of six weeks or so. And you know, before Christmas, sort of in and around the United game when he gets those two goals, he'd become. A pretty sort of integral member of the squad, but he hasn't he hasn't featured uh, anywhere near as much recently. So the, there has to come a point where he gets reintroduced. I think he, you know he can he's, st- he's still a key player for for the rest of the season, but it's a question of when really. Um, and I'm not sure that either of these two games um, are made for a player that's been out for a little while. It hasn't hasn't had loads of loads of minutes. On Shakiri, what what I think has sort of done for him, for him in the past few weeks is that he was actually starting games. And he was starting a few games like that Wolves one where he's playing with a lot of players around him that he doesn't really know. And I think he didn't entirely understand his role. What he's been best at, for me, in his Liverpool career so far, is coming on at 60. Mm. And giving you something of... He's very forthright when he comes on, first of all. He's not a player that wants to hold onto the footy loads. He doesn't want to run down channels. He wants to get the ball and go towards the goal and play a pass, hit a shot, whatever. We saw in the United game at Anfield how important that was because we played really well before then. We were by far the better team. But there was a sort of... There was there was this decision between the midfield and the attack. We had an attack, we had a midfield. Man United had two Glocks stood in the way and you mm. couldn't get past them. And we didn't have the player on the pitch that was looking to break that line. So what I think could happen for him in, in this sort of period is that 
I don't expect him to start buying. I don't expect him to start Old Trafford. But I think he could come on at 65 at Old Trafford and make a difference. I think that's I think that's his role. I think that's probably his role for for this season and maybe the predominant part of his Liverpool career. And I think that's fine because I think he needs a player like that. He's never going to be a first choice front three player as long as we've got those. If suddenly they all left in the summer and we didn't replace them adequately, then yeah. But he's never going to be one that you want to put on that team sheet in a front three. And he's kind of almost too attacking to feel safe to start in a big game in a midfield three yeah. so for me he's this player that basically you have there ready to be a little lightning bolt that comes on and changes things and not necessarily even in an attacking way it's not like if you need a goal maybe it's you're under the cosh a little bit and you need someone that can break you out you need someone that gives their centre mid something to think about or their left full back to think about so for me that's that's what he does across basically the rest of the season yeah you're right entirely and if you think about it where he has had his starts he hasn't had his starts as cover or in, or t- to rest one of the front three apart from uh, against Burnley I think away where he where a clock rotates extensively he's always been brought in to augment the front three where, on his starts he's played in a 4-2-3 uh, yeah in the 4-2-3-1s so we haven't seen him trusted to, to say I'll, I'll give Mane a rest today Shakiri can play left wing I'll give Salah he's ne- we've not really seen that happen at all this season well maybe I said that Burnley game accepted I think a key player for us over this coming phase who uh, we need to see keep making strides is Naby Keita. He's gone from being I can't see what we bought. People, you know, roundly written him off, ridiculously in my opinion, two weeks ago. That's a better second half against West Ham and a really good game against Bournemouth. And we and I don't think he's even scratching the surface of the player he can be for those who watched him in Germany. Um, but if he can begin, to, if he sorry, if he can continue to make the progress, then I think he gives you an option. He's not a front three player, but if you've got some serious dynamism uh, breaking for, uh, between the lines in midfield, I think you can occasionally go. I will tell you what, Sadio Mane can have the night off, or, or start from the bench here. Shakiri can just do a do a job out left with Keita breaking through and supporting Salah and Firmino. Mike, it's clearly a Man United side that's on the up under Solskjaer. Mm. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago that Mourinho was sacked after that win for us in Anfield. He's made the holy show over Manny. A little bit, a little bit. Um, and I've seen, I've seen a bit more of them lately, to be honest, than what I've seen before. And they've been playing really well. And I think a lot of individuals improved. Uh, Pogba has been fantastic. He's got Rashford playing down the middle and doing a lot better. Um, just the likes of Lingard and Matter have been contributing a lot more. They look better defensively. But they've had that defeat now to Paris Saint-Germain. And not just Paris Saint-Germain, but a weakened Paris Saint-Germain. They were missing two of their best three players, basically, there. How do you think that affects them now? Um, I, th- I, mean, I certainly think it's taken the wind out of their sails. And, you know, to, to lose, a, lose a big European game at home like that, um, sort of quite, quite comprehensively, um, will do them no favours in terms of the, the way that they're viewing themselves. The only thing really for me going to Old Trafford is that I think they can sort of put that defeat to one side and just view this game in, in isolation. Um, they they will be up for it massively because, I mean, as, as much as like City winning the league is uh, the lesser of two evils to them, you know, they definitely won't, don't want Liverpool to um, to, to win it and they, they massively want to be the side that puts a spanner in the works for, for Liverpool. So I, th- I think they can, they can certainly get themselves up for the game. I think Liverpool are better than them. Um, the only one of my main worries really is just our record at Old Trafford. We don't win there frequently. Um, 2014 being the last time, um, and it sort of feels like a game where if Liverpool can go and win, then it really, really sort of nails it down in terms of what you, where, where we are with our Premier League ambitions. It's it's it, for me it, it's a curious one because this whole Solskjaer resurgence has been built on free flowing attacking football. So then what? 
I can't see them pressing the reset button just for Liverpool because I think that could be detrimental to them for the rest of the season. This kind of, you know, playing with this freedom and belief and everyone's got a smile on their face and then suddenly you're going to put the brakes on. That and the fact that Lingard and Martial are probably going to be missing mm. as well because a lot of their a lot of their progress has been built on. I'm not solely them. I mean, Pogba's been excellent. Um, Paul he's taken the big stars. He's, he's not yeah. really bothered with Lukaku no, or Sanchez. No, no, no. Paul Pogba's a good football player. Who knew? Hey, crazy. Um, but it's been kind of built on Lingard, Martial, and as you said, Rashford. I'm playing through them and being much more direct, quicker on the break. Uh, being a bit more cavalier and kind of harking back to the the the, the, the fake somewhere football as much as I hate to pay him a compliment in so much as the bar spares aside and spares were unlucky by the way they've just gone out and gone our lads are better than your lads but unfortunately for Manchester United their lads aren't better than our lads our lads are better than their lads and given how also they were kind of it wasn't just the the, the scoreline the PSG beat them; it was the manner of the of, of the victory. They, they very much undressed them, and it could have been. I mean, there couldn't be any real arguments if it would have been three or four. I think David Gea makes a couple of really good saves second half. Um, and I, Andy, I think it's I think it's about belief with this United side. After Mourinho, we need so, to believe that. Come on, they were, they were so damaged by Mourinho. They, the other side of Mourinho, the morning after Mourinho left, they didn't know where they stood as a team. They were in sixth or seventh place. They, for, they forgot what was good about them as individual footballers because they just hadn't been doing but it for the, so long. The, the, the mad thing is, though, I, I had Mourinho been in charge of Man United, I fancy he's more against this Man United. Don't know what they've done if Mourinho Well, was that's still what I was there. just going to ask you yeah. then, Rob. Yes. Does, does Andy mentions the free flow of football there and the fact that they've been attacking and they play with some pace and they go forward and they're not going to go back to six at the back, four full backs and, and two no. blocks to the central midfield. But does that suit Liverpool more if they have a go? Yes, it, it does. And, and also, it's the right time to play this, the, this version of Man U in as much as I wouldn't have liked to have played them a month ago when they were feeling much... When they, What I was trying to, trying to say was that... I think that Solskjaer had given them an illusion that they'd refound their identity. There was even talk that they thought this man United, if they'd had Solskjaer from the beginning of the season, would you challenge him for the league title? I think that's utter bullshit. Mm. I don't think they're anywhere near the level of our city and Tottenham. I, I think quietly they were, they've ridden the crest of a wave. They've beaten a lot of teams that weren't very good by focusing and being confident and happier in themselves. But they're very lucky at home against Tottenham, extremely lucky. They then actually went under everyone's radar, had have a really poor night in drawing at home to Burnley. Very, very pitiful Burnley. A really poor performance there. Um, and as you said, against PSG, they weren't just beaten, they were absolutely outclassed. As we're recording this tonight, they're playing Chelsea in, in I think, the game that is truly the biggest game of Man United season and Chelsea season, this FA Cup match. And it'd be good for us just right now that United don't get a confidence-restoring result. Even if they are to beat Chelsea, I'd like it to be in a, in a kind of schizophrenic sort of way. Who knows what can happen in Old Trafford? I think it's, it's, like, it's like a derby. It's like playing a, a better version of Everton, I think. Our first job will be to control them, bring them to heel, and then beat them. I think so, what's, what's yeah, interesting that. quickly about that, that uh, FA Cup game tonight is the, when the fixtures are done. So the European Cup draw is done and the FA Cup draw is done. But before the fixtures are scheduled it looks like they've got a midweek off and Liverpool are going to be playing and they're playing mm. on the weekend and maybe they play Friday night and get a whole sort of 10 days almost off but the way it's worked out that we play Tuesday and not Wednesday and they've ended up being the Monday night game mm. they get no real actual benefit they're playing at pretty much the same time as we are because what I was maybe concerned about is okay well they get ages to prepare for Liverpool here but the reality of the situation and as you say this might be their biggest game of their season so far 
they they don't get any extra benefit from from having played their European Cup game one week before. Yeah, no, well, it's only twenty four hours, isn't it? So yeah, um, <coughs> we'll be as rested as mm-hmm. as they will be uh, without a doubt. One of the so the interesting things about the just the fixture um, is the it's it's what's in it for Solskjaer as well because he's still auditioning really, isn't he, for the for the job? I'm sure that he probably wants to to get the job. Um, and last week there was some talk really that the two games that were going to define whether he'd be viewed um, as good enough to, to, to become the manager was the, the PSG game which he's lost emphatically and now the Liverpool game as well so there's a lot of I think there's quite, quite a lot of personal pressure on, on him um, in the, the Liverpool game but I suppose as well in terms of the FA Cup if he was to win something with, with them then that gives him a better mm-hmm. chance of, of getting the nod um, but as I say on a personal level it's a big it's a big one for him there was, there was brief mention there of our poor form at Old Trafford but one of the little intricate quirks of our former Old Trafford is that five years ago Liverpool were in a title challenge and they went to Man United and they battered them yeah. and ten years ago Liverpool were in a title challenge and they went to Man United and they battered them so do you believe in the cycle, Rob? Do you believe that in the superstition of, of that potentially happening again, now that the situation is in theory the same? Well, who knew that we beat them when we were good? You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the coincidence. When we're good, we can win it all. And track. when they're not so good. And when they're not mm-hmm. so good. Um, I kind of think, I don't want to be overdramatic about it because there is time to recover from it, but I kind of think that I, I personally need to see Liverpool go and win at Old Trafford and put down a title marker. City have been through a tough little period of games, faced the test and passed the test by beating Arsenal and Chelsea at home and Everton away. We kind of, so they've got above, out of those three games, I expected City to do no better than seven points. I thought there was a, a chance they could drop, drop somewhere there. We need to gain on our par. A draw is a perfectly good result at Old Trafford. A win, I think, is a cyclical. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I still think that we need that extra buffer of the the sort of a, th- a three point lead i think i wouldn't it's not a it's not a must win by any by any stretch of the imagination but I mean, as Rob says there, it's, it's, it's what it says about this Liverpool side. If it can go to Old Trafford, I mean, that, it's always our signature fixture of the season. If we can go there and win, then I think it says an awful lot about our ability to go on and withstand the pressure that everyone everyone's talking about because there is no more pressurised game than going there. Just before we wrap this up, I'm going to ask the three individually a swat of a question. By the way, um, I, think, I think it's a must-win game. Okay, well, oh, sort of leads into my question. Uh, Liverpool can win one of these games 2-0, and they can lose the other 2-0. Which you want them to win? Rob? I want us to win at Old Trafford. Mike? Yes, for once, I'm inclined to agree, yeah. And Andy? Yeah, for all the reasons discussed at the top of the show. I think the league this year, if, 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 we, if you have to make that choice... I think it's the you've got to give yourself the best chance of the, in the league, unfortunately. Okay. And then if we lose two 0 at Anfield, we can go to Bayern and win three 0 mm-hmm. Do you wear your leg? Still got a second chance there, haven't you? So okay. Them, well, that's about all that we've got time for this week. Thanks very much to Rob, to Mike, and to Andy. And if you enjoyed this and you're not an Anfield Rap subscriber, make sure to go to the Anfieldrap.com forward slash subscribe. Have a little look at it. There's loads and loads of shows on the Tour Player Service. There'll be loads of post-match reaction to both of these games, loads of build-up, all that you could possibly want. Also, check out the YouTube channel. There's loads of interesting stuff on there, loads of new formats. We're always trying things, so make sure to test them for us. This could well turn out to be one of the biggest weeks of all of our Liverpool supporting lives. This, how exciting is that? Uh, whatever happens, however it goes, nothing will be won. Very little can be lost. But it might just be an awful lot more realistic, what we all want. Um, so make sure that you're up for it. Make sure that you have a good time. If you're privileged enough to be going to either or both of these games, enjoy it. Scream your head off. Do everything that you can do to make what we all want that little bit more probable. 
This is precisely why we're football supporters. Enjoy it, revel in it, have a great time. Up the Reds, all the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.